Building Podcast. My name is Susan Coleman. I'm a global coach, mediator, and the host of this podcast. Join me as I interview today's most creative, courageous, and sometimes outrageous mediators, coaches, entrepreneurs, and out-of-the-box thinkers whose work, whether intended or not, is building peace. Tune in for pure inspiration as we explore the best stories, the best practices, the best ideas of a new world emerging. Today I have with me Kamal Muzawak, uh, whose business card says, make food, not war, which I really love that. Um, I have heard him aptly described as an Arab world social innovator. So, Sabel uh, Kair, Kamal, how are you? I have to guess what you're saying, Susan. It's Sabah al Khair. <laughs> oh, Sabah al Khair. Okay. Okay. Thank you for making that effort. It means good morning. Good morning. And literally, really... literally, it means a morning of blessing. It's oh, very, very nice. Lovely. So, uh, Kamal created the first farmer's market in Beirut, Lebanon, um, which is called Souk El Tayeb. Did I pronounce that one right? That's perfect, Susan. Bravo. <laughs> okay, good. Which means the market of good. Um, and uh, because he grew up in, in the midst of the Lebanese Civil War, uh, he, I think he knows pretty much firsthand about what kind of actions can build peace. Uh, I met him sometime, I don't know, I think it was this spring, Kamal, does that sound right to you? Like something like that, um, at the Glenwood Center in, in uh, the Hudson Valley of New York, which supports food and agriculture throughout the Hudson Valley. And we were being served this amazing meal uh, to die for, which was prepared by Kamal and his staff. I can't remember exactly what was on the menu, but it was quite a spread um, I don't know if you remember Kamala. I think it was was there goat and hummus and greens yes. and yogurt and and tab- oh yeah and it's a oh, woman yeah. of Tawli. It's not my staff. I don't have a staff. Oh, it's a wonderful okay. woman. The cooks that cook at Tawli. Woman from more okay. from different villages. I had with me Georgina and Rima, uh, yes. both from two different parts of the country, from the north and from the Shuf Mountains, and we were all cooking together. All the wonderful producers of the Hudson Valley into a Lebanese way. Uh, yeah, anyway, it was such a beautiful meal. And then Kamal gave a talk about what he was doing. And, and really, pretty much the minute he opened his mouth, I knew he was perfect for this podcast. Um, as what he really cares about is bringing people together across what have been huge divides in Lebanon um, of culture, religion, uh, etc. And what he says is, you know, in a country as divided as Lebanon, nothing can bring people together as much as land and food. Um, in the midst of, of, of really divisive political tensions, which are uh, still prevalent after the Lebanese Civil War, which was from 1975 to 1990, you can correct me if any of this is wrong, Kamal, um, and the continuing conflict between Lebanon and Israel, uh, Kamal began Souk al um, which is the first inexpensive organic food market in Beirut. Um, but more importantly, it serves as a platform for the people of Lebanon to forge a unified Lebanese heritage and identity based on their shared cuisine. Um, It's a place where regardless of the religion or ethnic heritage, um, which could be Druze, Shiite, Sunni, Maronite, Greek Orthodox, Jew, um, the diverse people of Lebanon are united around a food experience. 
Uh, Lebanon's tumultuous history of diversity and conflict has resulted in low agricultural production, massive internal migration, inadequate agricultural policies, and ethnic divisions. For each of these problems, uh, Kamal's approach is part of a solution. Branching from Souk El Tayeb, Kamal has begun a farmer visit and exchange program, a cultural tourism program, a producer restaurant, educational programming for youth, and inclusive national festivals to promote reconciliation in Lebanon. Uh, in Lebanon. While uh, Souk El Tayeb is based in Re Beirut due to uh, uh, Lebanon's, Lebanon is like Basically, it's, I don't know, it's the size, it's a tiny country, if you're not familiar with, with the geography here. Um, farmers from the Niha Mountains to coastal Saida can join together at weekly farmers markets. Additional programs branching from the markets, such as the Farmers Exchange Program, also connect farmers from across Lebanon in their own homes and transnationally with investor networks in London, Galway, Amsterdam, New York, and Latakia. Based on the market success of Souk El Tayeb in Beirut and the impact of its related initiatives in other parts of Lebanon, uh, Kamal is working to introduce producers' restaurants in Dubai and farmers' platforms in Saudi Arabia using cuisine traditions and customs as a unifying social and cultural catalyst while also empowering and generating income to small-scale farmers and local communities through food. Kamal is, Kamal is uh, I like this, is scaling peace in the Middle East. Um, so, um, so is that, so anything else you want to add to, I mean, that's, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll fill it out as we have our conversation, but. Um, I don't think uh, I have something to add. There is nothing to add. I think you went a little bit too much. I hope <laughs> I can personally do as much for peace, you know, as you said, like we're, we just try through very small initiatives to uh, make a difference and to say, yes, we are different, but uh, beyond our differences, we can find for common grounds that can bring us together. And in my opinion, the simpler the intervention, the easier it will be instead of like talking about uh, uh, reconciliations or peace building through big titles and big words. It's just simple actions and activities that can make a difference, in my opinion, just like, you know, finding a common ground, like as a land that brings us all together, where we all live on the same land, find these agriculture that is out of this land and the cuisine that you can make out of it. Yeah, uh, really aptly said. I, I think, um, you know, I've noticed in terms of some of the people that I'm bringing on this on this podcast, uh, uh, dancers, uh, people like yourselves, um, Open space, which is a process, a process, but simple processes, I think, um, are really impactful. I agree with you. Um, can you, you know, Kamal, I think, can you say as we start um, a little bit about your background, your growing up years, and, and what planted the seeds in you um, to do this kind of work? Like, what got you started? Well, first of all, I'm a son of farmers and producers, so I was born between gardens where uh, uncles and grandfathers used to work and the kitchens where mom and aunts used to cook to transform the agriculture into cuisine. So it's very important to understand that milk doesn't come in a box, that grapes don't come, you know, in February out of a plastic bag, you know, and to follow, to understand that the land produces something and to produce something from the land, it's a process that is like 
some something like a miracle for me. How can you just put a seed somewhere and the seed is going to transform into a plant or into a tree and bear fruits and bear things, you know, too. So this is quite wonderful. And this is what amazes me, this energy and this power of life. And for me, this is the whole secret of, you know, human beings and life and earth and everything. So I was born in this. I was, we were like, we used to wait for 15th of August to know that the grapes were ripe enough so we can eat grapes before we were eating prunes, before we were eating cherries, all picked on trees. So it's important to have the link with the land and the seas. Um, Come on, where did you grow up exactly? I grew, it, it, I grew up yeah. in a small village called Jaita, which is like 20 kilometers out of Beirut. It's very okay. close to Beirut, but still, you know, like uh, rural and uh, a countryside where some areas of production used to exist not anymore today as real estate is more interesting than having a garden right so right. I think this was very and, very and, and important. sorry and very Mediterranean right very med in, in, in kind of the it's a very Mediterranean feel in that part totally of the, Mediterranean yeah. if you look at the Mediterranean basin you know like you have North Africa from one side facing it, facing it is Europe and on the other side there is the Levant or the Eastern Mediterranean and Lebanon is a rectangle of uh, in the center of the Eastern Mediterranean. So it's like 200 kilometers coast and it's a rectangle. The country is like a rectangle, which is 200 kilometer long along the coast of Mediterranean and it's 50 kilometers uh, wide. So mm -hmm. it's a very, very small country along the eastern side in the center of the eastern side of the Mediterranean. Beautiful. So sorry, I interrupted you there, but I want to just give a picture of it. So so you grew up in the middle, basically farming. Um, continue. Yeah. About so, your this was my childhood and uh, I studied graphic design after that. I never worked in it before. I was like just finishing my studies and it was the end of war in Lebanon. During wars, the country, the whole country was divided into this very small country was divided into different parts, which one part was inaccessible for the others. And this small country How was divided into like five or ten different areas. And each one could not or could with difficulty cross to the other parts. I remember, if this is accurate, because I, I, I was in Lebanon um, a, a while ago, and I, a long, quite a while ago, but I remember people had on their identity cards their religion. Is yes. that right? So yes. That, yeah. Yes. So that you literally, uh, when you showed your ID, it mm -hmm. showed which group you were part of, mm -hmm. um, which made it, I don't know, you, you live this, but made it difficult to then move into any other area that you were not, you know. Well, difficult. Right. Sometimes you could be kidnapped or killed, you know, because of your religion, yeah. because you are you are from the other religion. And it was like the same problem from the other side, too. You know, like it was uh, uh, quite difficult, not to say terrible. So uh, and on one one of these days in 1990, it was like the end of war. And it was like, ah, really? And what do we do out of it now? It was like just, you know, like now we start and now we're done. So it was quite weird, and it was the end of my studies of graphic design, and I was already working in a cultural center called Art and Culture. And Sorry, I just want to slow you down a little bit. So you were you, I don't know what your age is, were you actually born right in the middle of the Civil War? I was, or, I mean, was born in 69, and the Civil War started in 1975. So I was like five or six years old when the war started. And I was like 20, uh, 20 something when the war ended. Yeah, wow. Um, and um, so was this something that was a constant reality in your face or were you somewhat um, protected from it? 
in any way? Well, obviously I was protected from it by wonderful parents who were just trying to give us the best, first of all. Uh, then I was a kid, so for a kid we don't understand consequences or like what's happening. And for us, like when it's raging war, it was great because we don't go to school on that day or on, the, yeah. on those days. But like obviously there was uh, something very weird about it, you know, like what's happening, why is it happening? Uh, and you don't know another reality, so uh, that's another thing too. So when you don't know about this reality, you cannot compare with something else. Right, right. It becomes the normal. Yeah. And and Kamal, what were what were the how were how was the country divided? What were the groupings that that were kind of the different segments? Political, religious. Uh, you know, sometimes you had Christians fighting uh, between each each other, or Muslim fighting between each other between different factions. Uh, different uh, political factions, and sometimes you had like Christian and Muslim fighting together. Like, I don't think there's there's no reason to fight any war. There was no reason to fight this war, and I don't think there is a reason to fight any any other war. So yeah, well, I agree with you on that. There's no reason to to kill or to get killed for anything. I think life is just a wonderful miracle and a great gift and. Uh, it's not up to me or to someone else to decide of the end of it. Yeah. yeah. So you were um, finishing up your studies and then your transition into farming. How did that go? Or in, not into farming, into the uh, into the work that you're currently doing. How did, how did that go? I didn't transition into farming. I still don't do farming until today, unfortunately. No, I, yeah, right. You know, like I, I was working at this cultural center. It was just the end of war. And it was a big, big teaching in my life. It was a cultural center, not in Beirut, out of Beirut. The roads were nearly impossible to drive. Uh, it took you hour to drive from one point to another. And still we had like activities three nights a week. And we had people coming from all over the country to this, the middle of nowhere cultural center. And I was amazed. I didn't understand in the beginning, like why do people travel so far and why are they coming to this place, you know, in the middle of nowhere? And why all of these different people who used to fight each other like a year or two years ago because of their differences are all coming together to this cultural project, to this art and culture project? And I understood the importance of having a common ground and how we can, you know, look for similarities beyond differences. So this was a great teaching in my life. You know, people have to get together around something. But this something doesn't have to be only philosophical. It has to have a place and a time. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this is how you can bring people something to federate, you know, people. Mm -hmm. So people mm -hmm. by then would get together, even if they are different as of their skin color, their race, their color, uh, their religion, their political background, whatever. They can be different, but they can find or look or work around a common ground beyond their differences. So mm -hmm. these people who were coming from all over Lebanon, from regions that were in conflict and in, in, in war like a year ago, were now like getting together around art and culture, you know? It's amazing. So, yeah, it's really amazing. And what do you think, you think what was bringing them is, is I mean, what was it about the actual programming or, or, or the, the art and culture? Was it, was it fun? Was it, I mean, why were people coming other than they wanted to, to be together? They, wanted, they just wanted think? to be together. Mm -hmm. They just wanted to be together. The programming was nice, was interesting. It wasn't, you know, it was very good. It wasn't outstanding every, every day and every time. So they just needed a reason to get together. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, so that's, uh, so, so continue. Yeah. So then how did this um, morph into uh, where you are today? So after that, someone asked me to write a guidebook about Lebanon, this country that we used to know, but like never visited. And I toured the country for two years. I had like a beautiful old American Oldsmobile, uh, old car. And (laughs) that sounds pretty good. Yeah. It was like a ship moving, you know. Yeah. And I drove all along this country that I heard so much about, but never visited mm. before. And I drove all around it, like researching, discovering, uh, writing about it, you know, researching for the book. And I was amazed. There was obviously many very interesting things, historical site, archaeological site, you know, uh, natural sites. But the most interesting and wonderful thing was the people themselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how wonderful they all were. And how different they were, but how the same at the same time they were, all of them. And if you come to them with like open open heart and open arms, they would have wider hearts than yours. And if you come with them, you know, with a gun, they would, you know, or with aggressivity, I, I, I mean, they would be more aggressive than you are. Yeah. So, so you didn't feel any at that point, even though it was really pretty, pretty new. You didn't feel any animosity towards you because of your particular group at all, at all, at mm-hmm. all, at all, at all. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So, um, yeah, I love this image of you driving around the country uh, in, in probably a car that was yeah, because that terrain, that 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 environment. Cars probably last a long time, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Not they don't decay like they, yeah, they don't decay like they do where I live, you know. <laughs> so yeah, so um, so you're driving around and you're just finding that people were really open-hearted and uh, welcoming to you. And so then, um, how did this continue on? So it was a lot about food, and I started looking at food at a very different way. I was always passionate about food, and I was always, you know, passionate about the metamorphosis about food. I remember when I was a very, very young kid where I tried to make a cake, and I was always amazed. How can you take, like, simple, stupid ingredients, like a little (laughs) bit of flour, a little bit of sugar, eggs, and, Uh you know, and you can transform them into something as wonderful as a cake. I was amazed. Yeah, voila. Yeah, yeah. So one day I took an egg, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of flour. I mixed them all together. I put them, I need a mold, you know. Uh, I put them in a, in a tuna tin and then I put the tin over the gas. So I gave it the uh, cake mold, you know. I gave it the, the fire, the heat that it needed and the ingredient and everything was there and it burned. I didn't understand why. So I was always, I think, amazed by the metamorphosis of the cuisine. I was always amazed by the generosity and by the wonder of life through agriculture, through the land. You know, how can you have like a a vine tree and then it gives grapes? Like, how is this possible? How do you plant parsley seeds and then it's going to be parsley? It's like amazing. What a a transformation, what a miracle it is. It always be wilder. Sorry. For some reason, I, I'm thinking about oak trees around here, which I don't know if you're familiar with them, but, you know, they're these just tiny little seeds yes. and then I, these absolutely yeah. enormous, yeah. enormous trees grow out of them. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, it's, you know, the agriculture and then the metamorphosis that happens into the kitchen itself, the cuisine itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So from that, I started travel writing about Lebanon and then I moved on to food writing, which is a big passion of mine. I started more and more food researching. I discovered at one point in 
2000, something called slow food happening in, was a Salon del Gusto in 2000 happening in, uh, in Torino. Uh, Can you say a little bit about what that is uh, for the listeners? Uh, well, slow food is somehow like in very simple terms, like the green piece of food and drink. It's an organization mm-hmm. that started out in north, north of Italy. And it's very, in a, in a simple way, it's like the f- uh, green piece of food and drink preserving like food traditions that started in Italy and now is spread all over the world. It's like more than 100,000 members all over the world. And they are quite active and uh, strong in uh, the United States, in, in New York, and, uh, and on the West Coast, mainly with Alice Waters on the West mm-hmm. Coast. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a wonderful adventure to meet Slow Food, its people, and I started collaborating and working with them. And from there, I discovered something called macrobiotics. And macrobiotics was amazing for me because it was a lot about energies of food, complementarity, and all of these, you know, questions and uh, all of these answers that I was uh, looking for. And I had often questions because I'm quite a curious person. Mm -hmm. So it was from one thing to another until 2004. There was the first garden show in Beirut and the organizers asked me to take care of the food section. So it was like at the end of the show, quite far. And I had around me like 10 farmers and producers that I used to work with, collaborate with, you know, promote, write about. And we were like at the end of this huge show. And it was about food, about tradition, about uh, authenticity, simple things, uh, about things that talk to the mind, to the heart and to the belly. Mm -hmm. And people were drawn to this place like a magnet. Mm -hmm. So after finishing the five days event, I said, well, you know, we're, gonna, we're not going to stop here. We need to go on and do something. So this is how 10 days later, I created the weekly farmer's market, which I call Sukkot Tayyib. So Sukkot Tayyib was born. It started with the farmer's market, the weekly, start, the weekly farmer's market that started early June on 2004 and didn't stop for not one time from 2004 until today. So today it's about the farmer's market and the organization grew much more and we went on from one project to another all around, you know, saving traditions, bringing people together and celebrating what can be done by all of these different people together. So, um, Kamal, if you could um, zero in on um, what you see happening or a story or something where, you, where you're bringing different groups together and the impact that you have observed or any, any story, specific story like that, um, that's impossible? You know, you know Taule is a farmer's kitchen. We started Sukkot Tayyib as an organization in 2004 with a farmer's market. Mm-hmm. So we started the farmer's market in 2004, and then we went on in 2007 to do the regional food festivals that we call Food and Feast. And it was about going to the region and celebrating the typical products and traditions of the region. And during these Food and Feast festivals, it was at noon we had to have lunch. So it was the women of the village who were preparing the lunch, the good cooks. Mm-hmm. So these lunches started having a great success. So this is where we said, like, why do I have to wait one time a year to go to Cherry Village and to, you know, have the Cherry Village lunch? We're going to have it more often. So we started the Tauli project. Tauli means table. So it's a farmer's kitchen. It's like a restaurant where every day it's a different woman from a different village who would come and cook to uh, the traditional food of her own region or her own village. Mm-hmm. So with Taule, it's a group of women from different regions, different villages, and each woman would be 
every day of the week in Beirut. Now Tawli exists in Beirut and in different Lebanese regions all around the country. And these so, obviously were regions that had previously been in conflict with each other. Obviously. So I get mm-hmm. to your zero story. Mm-hmm. And I think, for instance, of Zainab, who's, you know, a veiled Shiite woman from the south. Mm-hmm. We know she is religiously uh, involved, you know, because she's uh, uh, veiled as a Muslim way. Mm-hmm. And then there is Rima, you know, Rima Masoud has a name which is like not Christian, not Muslim, you know, like just like mine. I'm Kamal Muzawak, like you don't know what I am, you know, I don't have a defined uh, name religiously, let's say. And mm-hmm. then there is Georgina, uh, uh, who is from a Christian uh, village in the north of Lebanon. So we were working today, the four of us, sorry, one day, the four of us in south of France in 2013 doing a wonderful event during Marseille Capital de la Culture. And at one point, Rima was saying, ah, yes, for this Druze feast, we do this kind of cookies. And Rima and Zainab were very close and very friend together. And mm-hmm. Zainab, as I already said, was quite involved, you know, uh, religiously. And Zainab told her, ah, you're Druze? I never knew you were Druze. <laughs> so these two women were working together for years and they didn't know the religion. We knew the religion of Zainab because, okay, she's veiled uh, and she's from a Shiite village. But like she, even Zainab, who is religiously involved, didn't even wonder or ask what Rima's religion was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Irrelevant. So these people <laughs> were working together beyond, you know, the religious difference that they can make that they may have or have between themselves, but they're working together, you know, and they found common ground beyond the differences they had between them. And this is what I find wonderful. Yeah, absolutely beautiful thing. Um, and and then how um, have you seen it play itself out? Um, I mean, what's your, how have you seen it play itself out throughout the country? Well, you know, all these stories are nice, Susan, you know, like the introduction you did is wonderful. But by the end of the day, yes, it's sure about make food, not war, you know. And when you talk about how is it, you know, spreading itself all around the country, the country is not blessed with people like Zainab or like Riba. Yeah. So reality is far from this. These are exceptional stories that we may, we may tell, you know, we may talk about or write about. But unfortunately, it's not the case for the majority. We need to do more and more examples of this and say this can be possible for others to try to do the same. But it's not the reality. The reality to start with, we need basic rights, basic human rights. We need all to believe in the same ethics, you know, and rights that go beyond any religious difference or political difference or any kind of difference. So people from whatever region, religion, political background, race, color, anything should have and might have, you know, the same rights and share the same values and the same ethics. So what's currently happening is that there isn't some something that's sort of a solid base that is is kind of a, a platform for everyone to be able to function together. No, no, unfortunately not. And not anywhere in the whole world, not only here, you yeah. know, everywhere in the world. When I look at what's happening between, you know, 
raise the vision in the stage today, lately, right. it's like unbelievable in 2016 in a country where the president, you know, is a black man. It's like unbelievable. How can we still live like it was 50 or 100 years ago? Yeah. It's unbelievable. It just shows that it was always there. It just is something, something ignited it, you know, and it just Absolutely. hasn't been resolved at all. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you feel hopeful? I mean, I know the state of agriculture in Lebanon is is still, you know, is really a mess. The state of agriculture on the planet is a mess. Um, and you're using food and agriculture to bring people together. Do you feel like um, hopeful that um, that uh, that of the state of agriculture or do you feel like it's just so under siege that it uh, it might get decimated? I think agro-industry was like a great revolution, was thought to be a great revolution 50 years ago. So chemicals, uh, uh, monoculture seeds, like all of these issues uh, were presented as a miracle, you know, and as a savior for the world like 50 years ago or a little bit more. And now we're starting to understand that, yes, it may be very interesting on a quantitative level, but, you know, it costs a lot on many other levels too. And well, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if you know about that, but I think so much of those, those, you know, uh, the, the, the um, green revolution, so, uh, so to speak, um, came out of the, the military system. Yes, absolutely. The chemicals. The yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, if I'm uh, optimistic, I'm always optimistic. Uh, and I just think that, you know, we have to make out the best of what we have. Yeah. Um, so, um, so tell me, you know, one of the things that you said right at the outset, which I think was so, was so right on, is that um, whatever is done, it needs to be simple. Um, and I, um, I don't know what other like lessons learned, like, like if you could summarize for you being somebody who grew up in the middle of of, of, of true conflict. No one could argue that you're in the middle of a civil war. Um, you know, when you think, when you think in terms of vision, um, what are the things that sort of the, the, the lessons learned that come to you about all this? Don't let it get to a conflict mm -hmm. and try to make out something and to solve it before getting, you know, to a conflict. Don't get there. Because why? Once you get there, what? Because when you get there, it's just going to be worse and worse and more and more and bigger and bigger. It just creates a life of its own. Yes, absolutely. What amazes me about your story, too, is that, I mean, when I was in Beirut, and again, it was a limited amount of time, but I almost had this, this feeling of collective trauma in the people that I was around, like that people were almost frozen in time. Um, that um, you know, such there's been such intense divisions, and and um, um, uh, you know, and then your story it just sounds like that melted. So I mean, people's desire to come together happened so quickly, um, but of course there must have been or a great need for a lot of healing <clears throat> to go on to really get to a, you know, like <clears throat> when you think about trauma, and I don't know if you think much about this, but it's it's. Um, you know, people don't remember what happened or they're not able to heal from what happened. It's really easy that it gets recreated. 
And yet, you know, around food, I mean, the thing that's so beautiful about what you're doing is that food is such a simple thing. Everybody understands it. Everybody understands about eating. Everybody understands about coming together around a table. Uh, but um, for for the folks in Lebanon, um, any thoughts about that kind of healing, that kind of profound healing that I think needs to happen to really get people to a different place? I think there, there, there was a lot of frustration and anger. Anger is still visible until today, you know, like we're constantly angry. We're definitely not Nordic people, which is all the contrary of that. We're not Danes. <laughs> and, and then there's a lot of frustration. You know, when something happens and you don't understand why, you know, when you have a problem, a health problem or something or a catastrophe and you don't understand why, I think it was a whole nation that was frustrated of not understanding why this happened. And then again, a bigger frustration when the war ended and you didn't know why it ended, you know, and you didn't. Why, why would that? Why did that cause frustration? And you didn't do when it ends, you know, and you don't do it like a healing process of forgiving yeah, or yeah. understanding. And it's just like it ended like this. So like, guys, why did it start? It's frustrating. And why did it end? And again, like, you let me go through all of this, you know, like yeah. you take my life away. You take my kids away. You take my work away. And then it stops another day, you know, and you don't even tell me why it stopped and why it started. So a lot of and anger and a lot of frustration. And then no process or anything no, to be able nothing. to reflect on what the hell happened and why it happened and nothing. reconciliation, nothing. Nothing at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So, um, and so that must still, that must still be in the ethers. I mean, I think these things take so many generations to, to heal. I mean, if they do at all. And um, uh, nothing, you know, again, nothing like... Um, the tangible nature of food and agriculture to help do that. Um, what, and, and also Kamal, what's happening, um, you know, to other countries around you or other, other, you know, you're, you're working very locally and yet this also has become, you are connected globally for sure. Can you say a little bit about that and what's happening and, or how you've been able to be of use to other people, places that are doing something similar or thinking similarly? Well, you know, it's about what we do. It's about trying to celebrate local traditions, local cuisine, local agriculture. And for me, I do so in Lebanon for Lebanon, obviously, but it's the wonder of doing the same, you know, in different places and different countries, always looking and celebrating their own traditions. Like we're working on a project now, we'll be working soon on a project in Armenia. You know, Armenia used to be this very big country and now it's like a very small part from the old, uh, uh, bigger country. Uh, well, it used to be part of the Soviet Union, correct? And the small country is part of, the, the small rest is part of the Soviet Union, absolutely. So we're trying to rebuild the Armenian puzzle by bringing, because all of the people left to different areas of the world, you know, to Marseille, to Los Angeles, to Lebanon, a lot of them to Lebanon, to Syria. So we're trying to rebuild the puzzle of the old Armenia through bringing good cooks from all of these regions, you know, old regions that emigrated to other countries and rebuilding this puzzle of the old Armenia through the cuisine of each and every region. You know, cuisine is a very simple, very understandable and very, very powerful expression of our tradition. When you look at traditions and that history, how can it, how is it expressed? It is it can be expressed in different ways, like 
costumes that we don't use anymore, architectures that is very rare, music or uh, singing, you know, that are difficult to understand. The one and only expression of traditions that travels the best time and place and that is the most understandable by people is food itself. Italians travel to the world with pizza and pasta, Chinese with their food, Japanese with their food. Lebanese are 5 million in Lebanon, 15 million abroad. So I only took with them Kebe and Tabori. So it's <laughs> under this angle that cuisine is interesting. And when I look at the melting pot that, you, that the United States are, you know, it's mainly a, a food melting pot. You know, when you go to New York and you see all of these different people from different regions and countries and all of the cuisines that makes, you know, America today, it's like really a wonderful expression of one's identity and tradition. Yeah, well, melting pot or maybe salad bowl, however you want to talk about it, you know. Um, melting pot in that it comes together. Salad bowl is that it comes together, but it's distinct. And <laughs> uh, and and um, and what are the what's supporting the what's how you know what's making the stuff in Armenia happen easily and what's getting in the way? Any thoughts about that? Oh. Uh... No, not really. It's still a project and it's very early steps. Uh, what's making it happen? The desire of some people to uh, work around identity and food. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it's not a work around food. I don't care about food itself. I'm interested on uh, about food or agriculture as, you know, an expression of identity. So this right. is the most important part. Right, 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 right. So, um, Kamal, uh, what um, what can people do to support the work or to support you? Or how, how you know what's what are ways that people could find out more about you and what you're ha- what you're doing? And is there any way that if people were inspired that they could be supportive of what you're doing? Anything like that? Well, there's a website sukeltayib.com. This is mm-hmm. uh, to know about what we do, and we have a lot of uh, press articles on it and what we do. So they can get in touch. We have all our emails on our website. And what they can do is uh, do more of the same around them, I think. Celebrate, uh, be proud of their identity, be proud of who they are, perpetuate their history and their traditions through their daily food and what their moms and grandmas did for them all of their life. When the Syrians came to Lebanon, you know, there's a million and a half Syrian refugees in Lebanon. And Lebanon is a five million people country. So yeah. more than 30% of the population is uh, refugees today in Lebanon, which is yeah. like unique in the world. And what we did with these women is like building something around their traditional cuisine. These women came with nothing at all. These families came with nothing at all in awful conditions. And still they are something, they are someone, you know, they have something, they have a tradition, they have a history. And we try to work with them around their food tradition where they can tell their stories and perpetuate their identity through simply cooking the foods that they did all of their life. Yeah, yeah, it must be so affirming to them. And uh, just uh, and that, are, are, is Syrian cuisine really different from Lebanese cuisine? Well, how, I guess different, Leban- yeah. how different is upstate New York cuisine from, you know, uh, New Jersey, let's say? It's, yeah. slight, it's slight differences. We are all part of the same geographical area, which is the Eastern Mediterranean. Lebanon is more Mediterranean than Syria itself. And, but like it's all the same basis, let's say, with some variations between one part and the other. Right, right. So, Kamal, any, any final words or visions or thoughts about all of this that um, you'd like to share as we wind down? 
Well, I always just repeat, be the change you want to see. This is what Gandhi said, you know, this is what I live by every day. And I try to be the change in a positive way. And I always say, thanks God that I'm not, you know, an agent of change like the guys who did the September 11, you know, because each one tries to make a change in a different way. What is a good change? What is a bad change? It's like, you know, who's here to say? So how much of a positive contribution can we bring to life and can we bring to this world? Yeah, yeah, beautiful. And how much can we nurture those incredible, the power of, of the seeds that are growing into food and that whatever that force is, it's such an amazing force. It's sort of the, the essence of all of this. And, and um, it's beautiful that you've made it uh, work specifically for bringing people together. Thank you. So... Thanks a lot, Kamal, and uh, I wish you really the best. And I hope to get another meal out of you or a meal throughout, you know, the people that you're working with. And maybe uh, maybe I have to come to Beirut to make that. Yeah, like come to Beirut and you eat this every single day. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That would be good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Susan. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Peace Building Podcast. Check out thepeacebuildingpodcast.com for show notes and for more great information and resources. Please email your comments, suggestions, and ideas to susan at thepeacebuildingpodcast.com. And join me next time for more great thinking, innovations, and ideas to take our planet to the next level.